1: And the Soviet Union collapses. And we got the first six Kazakh visas issued Mm. in Beijing. And people, when we got to Kazakhstan, were committing suicide, jumping off balconies, shooting each other dead in the streets. It was like an Armageddon, the suffering.
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and welcome to The Story. Today we have two fair dinkum Aussie heroes of the faith, missionaries Doug and Anna Boyle. Through drug rehabilitation centres and education, they have impacted the lives of thousands across Kazakhstan and beyond. As you'll hear, they have been through so much. So let's get right to their incredible story. Doug and Anna Boyle are chatting with Karen Hunt.
2: To kick off this conversation, give me a little bit of an understanding of where did you guys grow up? Uh How did you meet? And uh, yeah, a bit of a background.
1: We both believed even as small children that we would be missionaries we were both born again into different pentecostal denominations in our early 20s and we pursued our missionary calling and served as pastors raised our children we were 17 years basically preparing ourselves in 1991 our mission said too far too dangerous you've got too many kids sorry So it was Anna's bright idea to sell everything, and we bought one-way tickets, and that was in 1991, and we're still there.
2: When you say there, where is there?
1: Well, our calling is to Muslim people. Mm -hmm. We went into Soviet Central Asia, and so we were right in the beginning at the collapse of the Soviet Union, and we uh, were part of those missionaries who went in and bought the gospel where there had been no gospel for all the time of the Communism. And during that period, probably there have been about 30,000 Protestant churches planted Mm. in the former Soviet Union. Mm. Of course, the Protestant church was underground and it was there, but most of the pastors in the former Soviet Union were not saved at the collapse of the Soviet Union. Many of the former underground pastors emigrated to Western countries. You know, they suffered so much. They were just, you know, so glad to be able to get out. So we've lived and raised our children in that and, learned about the soviet culture and all the suffering of the soviet people under the czars and all the abuse and and uh, they're a really abused people
2: so you're based in kazakhstan is that right
1: we we were based in kazakhstan until two years ago uh-huh. okay. and uh, we received a letter from the prosecutor's office that we couldn't preach or pray or read the bible in public we pastored one church there for seventeen years, a mother church, and we planted about eighty churches out of that.
2: Okay, so when you're saying time, we, so yourself Anna, and Anna, under what umbrella did you go mm-hmm. across there? So from, well, from we Australia we only
1: here? we only went out on our own.
2: So independently.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, because our denomination wouldn't send us, but we were still alive after three years, so they credentialed us on the field, and then the churches, which is the Assemblies of God, got behind us and they've supported our personal needs, you know, ever since. So, so
2: the credibility came.
1: Yeah, it <laughs> came.
2: So when I, here you are in Kazakhstan, just you and your husband.
3: And four children.
2: And four children, I was going to say. So how long ago <laughs> did the family start to come into the picture and what was that like?
3: Well, the youngest child was five years old when we left and the oldest was 11. Mm-hmm. So um, we were established as a family
2: were they keen to join you i mean when the whole initial idea was being discussed and prayed about and well I,
3: I think as as a you know young children like okay we're going to the beach today oh good you know okay today we're leaving australia oh good okay and so they didn't up? really know what what it meant sure but you know it took them not so long you know to find out and discover the youngest children used to say we're here in torture land so that was their little joke. So where did you arrive? Where did you we, first in, arrive? Uh, in Chongqing, in oh, China. And in China? So, yeah. So that's that was our first place. We were there for a year. Then we moved to another city in China. And then after that, then we, we travelled overland into Kazakhstan.
2: So Kazakhstan it was. You entered into the Soviet Union. Who would have thought that in your time frame it would collapse What happened?
1: Well, we thought the end of the world was the northwest border of China. That was the only place where foreign people could travel to in that part of the Muslim world. Mm -hmm. We knew nothing about the Soviet Union, as Westerners didn't.
2: The Iron Curtain
1: was the Iron Curtain.
2: Yeah, Aussies, you've got these four kids, you're on this adventure, you're going where you believe God is sending you, and my goodness, that Iron Curtain is real.
1: And we got a message, you know, about a year after the collapse... From some Aussies who'd gone to Kazakhstan, which were the same ethnic people groups mm-hmm. that we were focusing on. That people getting saved so quickly they didn't have enough pastors to baptise them.
2: So you're thinking you're going simply to plant churches?
1: Northwest China. Yeah. Huh. Amongst Muslims, yeah. And the Soviet Union collapses. And we got the first six Kazakh visas issued mm. in Beijing. No way. Numbers one to six. No yeah. way. And that was a traumatic story. One week. Took ten weeks. And our youngest son got kidnapped. I was stabbed. We were robbed oh. about 20 times. It was so brutal. Oh, it was brutal. And people, when we got to Kazakhstan, were committing suicide, jumping off balconies, shooting each other dead in the streets. Just to walk to the little bazaar to buy vegetables, you'd find all these old people just lying in the street, drunk, covered in sores. And It was unbelievable. And anyone who's gone through that time, Karen, it was just, it was like an Armageddon suffering our children would go out before the sun came up in the morning and line up we had five by then we had an adopted son a runaway from china brave they would line up to buy milk bread butter sausage and cheese to get through the day with everyone else
2: so the youngest was how old
1: when we crossed into Kazakhstan he was six I think nearly six yeah he was the one who was kidnapped in Beijing Mm. for how long just a few hours and he has a testimony of an angel coming and Mm. disarming the man and then he ran to us and I confronted Mm. the man and the man tried to kill me. and You know, we have all these tragic stories.
2: Mm. No, I don't know. And just hearing that initially is Mm. like, whoa, I can't fathom that. We we can't fathom that. How old is that youngest son now? 28. And he is where?
1: He's just married in Vienna, Uh a beautiful Austrian girl. And they're happy as can be, yeah.
2: Doug, so church planting.
1: So, yeah, um, 93, we started in Kazakhstan. It was very scary, and I was doing work as an evangelist amongst Muslims, seeing lots of miracles. Not too many disciples. It was very difficult, but people were very open. And uh, then I was approached to start a narcotics mission by an American doctor who knew that I was a graduate Mm -hmm. from the Teen Challenge Program. I graduated from the Teen Mm -hmm. Challenge Program in Australia in 1975, but I'd been a minister at you know, my kids knew nothing about that past. So I agreed to take it on for one year. In 95, well, next year we celebrate 20 years of Teen Challenge in Kazakhstan. It grew to be possibly, arguably, the largest program in the world with about 17 men's and women's children's rehabilitation centres, a school which Anna pioneered for street kids, and she's still the director of kindergarten, and the church which we set up really for the families. And which, you know, as I said before, we ended up planting about eighty churches. Out of we have graduates in Russia and Israel and China, in North America, in Europe, all running ministries. God and
2: bless you. They guys. were
1: drug addicts and prostitutes. It's been amazing.
2: So you knew that mm. the call of God mm. was upon your lives individually, yes. yes, first, and then together, yeah, and then obviously as a family, yeah. So Anna, I'm a teacher originally as well myself, but for you as an educator, tell us a little bit about establishing the school that Doug was just mentioning.
3: Well, we established um, a number of rehabs and particularly with the women, they had children and the children were going to the local school. But it was a problem because the children were bullied. Uh, They were abused because teachers would say, well, you know, your mother is useless, what do you think you're going to come out as? And there was a lot of negativity and and we understood that we had to do something for the children. So we talked about the possibility of establishing a school and it seemed to be the right way to go. We negotiated with uh, the education department and it just wasn't going to happen because the idea of a private school, um, there was just no background in that at all. Everything was run by the state. Mm-hmm. And I had in my idea that we could have a like a cooperative homeschooling kind of situation, but that didn't work out to be viable. And so we just, okay, we just went in and so we established the school. We we uh, got together some, some volunteers. First of all, we were in a, a very small section and we just put partitions there for the you know, between the classrooms. But once we established it, some other factors happened. A runaway boy, well, his story was actually his uh, parents um, just dropped him and his little brother off at the bus stop and they just disappeared. Oh. And uh, they ended up on the street and they were separated. So the oldest brother uh, came into our care and he really, in his heart, he wanted to find his brother. So some people were searching around and they ended up finding the brother. He was in a, a group of kids that lived in the sewers and so it was wintertime coming and so they were invited to come in. They were all using heroin and, and uh, you know, it was a tragedy really. But they came in, they, you know, bathed up, we fed them, et cetera, et cetera, gave them some fresh clothes. And about half of this group decided that they wanted to stay, the other half left. But, you know, that's how it happened. And so it just, you know, kids from the street would come and what we established first off was just for the kids whose mothers were, were um, going through rehab, it just extended and extended and now it's um, a fully licensed fully accredited school and kids have gone through and about 80 percent of them actually graduate and go on to university so it's got recognition from the government and uh, it's just running now as a, uh, a fully functioning school according to the education department and the education requirements so I'm quite proud of you know, as a group of people that we've got together and done something that has made a difference. Well, so developments,
2: that doesn't just happen at the no. tip of the fingers. Yeah. That takes time. It is. And it, I like it was to a, say, to mm-hmm. be recognized now, mm-hmm. congratulations.
3: Yeah, it's, it's good.
0: You're listening to The Story, where today we're hearing missionaries Doug and Anna Boyle share about the remarkable impact their ministry has had in Kazakhstan. Next, we'll hear about their move to another part of the former Soviet Union and the potential for incredible ministry in Iran. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with two Aussie heroes of the faith, Doug and Anna Boyle. They've been serving as missionaries in Central Asia since 1991 and established the first Christian drug rehab center in the former Soviet Union in 1995. Also, through the ministries they've established, up to 80 churches have been planted all the way from Israel to Western China. Amazing. Now let's hear the rest of their incredible story.
2: So rehabilitation Mm -hmm. obviously became a key focus.
1: Yeah, because the heroin out of Afghanistan, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Mm -hmm. we had the Golden Triangle and Afghanistan, and both areas had provided about 500 metric tonnes of heroin per year for the world for 60 years or something. And then... Within 10 years of the collapse of the Soviet Union, or five years, Afghanistan heroin production had increased to 5,000 metric tonnes. And Almaty, Kazakhstan, was this major trafficking route. I mean, the heroin was going in unaccompanied suitcases on British Air, Lufthansa Mm. and KLM, 20 kilogram. So, you know, that's the level of corruption we're talking about Mm. in the society. So they had... A drug addiction problem There wasn't a family in the country that didn't have a drug addict in it.
2: Was there anything else Operating in any capacity similar The Soviet
1: to- people never believed That a heroin addict could be set free When I stood up And talked to the parents That I had been a drug addict That I went through the Teen Challenge program They did not believe me Now these are people who don't believe in God They don't believe that Jesus can Take away your sins That you can be forgiven And that you can forgive yourself Mm. So, but we started the program We took five men and five women in the first year And they graduated, all of them And then seven of them stayed on as workers Six of them are ordained pastors today And we doubled every year for almost ten years Until we grew to be one of the largest And we were the first Christian drug rehab in the former Soviet Union
2: Now did others come and join you to support you as human Mm. resource? No,
1: not really no, it was a pretty difficult place. It was really the, the fruit of the rehab ministry that built the disciples, you know. Yeah, people came from Australia, but some lasted two, five, seven years. You know, missionaries don't last very long today, mm-hmm. but we appreciate the people that came. A lot of people came to teach English, mm-hmm. and that was a key, mm-hmm. and they'd come for a year, and that really contributed. We taught English in the programs. English was really the job creation or the vocational training in the rehab centres. And uh, those people really contributed a great amount, not only their teaching and help for our graduates. So many of our graduates, one is, you know, a leader in the IOC. He's an English speaker. You know, I mean, they have great positions in the society now because of those volunteer Aussies that came to teach them <laughs> Aussie English. It's yeah. so funny. To you hear them speak and the Americans can't understand them because of their Aussie English?
2: And as Aussies, like we said before, you originally thought you were going to plant a church. Mm-hmm. And here you are actually establishing a missions outreach, which became Team Challenge Kazakhstan.
3: Yes, it's sort of like we had no idea why we were going to Kazakhstan. In fact, when we went, I'd never heard of the country. I mean, you know. It just wasn't a country that you you did uh, were, were familiar with, but um, it's it's been quite amazing, really. It's just sort of like being step by step, um, walking in faith. Of course, because you're just being obedient to what you feel, you know, you need to do. And and always the next step is just around the corner. Like we had no idea that we would need a school, but mm. because of other things that we were doing, it was the next step Mm. and then the next step after that was a kindergarten we needed a kindergarten as well for the younger children and so then the next step was another rehab center on the other side of town because you know it was difficult in traffic and so it was always just the next step but we didn't really see the big picture
2: Mm, of course
1: and spiritually though the christian church in kazakhstan is is relatively free although i'm not allowed anymore to to preach but I'm still welcome in the country to do my leadership and my administration and my work in the rehabilitation centres. when centers. did
2: that change?
1: Two years ago mm-hmm. I received a letter from the chief prosecutor mm-hmm. and everything we ever did in Kazakhstan we did openly. We registered every organisation. We worked completely within the law. We never broke any laws and we have helped build the new Kazakhstan and we still see ourselves as an important part of the new Kazakhstan, both the churches and Teen Challenge, and the government accepts it. But at the moment, their attitude to me as a foreigner is that they think it's best for me not to preach there. So I I just accept that. We moved to Georgia two years ago, Mm -hmm. which is an Orthodox country, and there was no Christian, Protestant Christian drug rehab, and we built a drug rehab centre there, and we sent interesting Mongol Muslim Christians who had been drug addicts, four of them, to build a Christian drug rehab center in Georgia. Wow. The Georgians resisted Ottoman Islam. They they wouldn't submit to it. They kept their Orthodox faith. And now we sent four Kazakhs to preach Jesus mm. to the Orthodox mm. Christian um, Georgians. That was, I thought, God's sense of humor. <laughs> so we built a, a center there. We have our own home there, and we go back there on the 7th of April. Uh-huh.
2: Doug, what are you expecting when you return what do you see for you and anna what's your role at this time in mm-hmm. history in going back
1: in our part of the world i see it as the last unevangelized sector of the world and in the center of it is jerusalem and they're primarily muslim people so we are working with iranians there are 7 million heroin addicts in iran today 1 million child heroin addicts I met with the Iranian ambassador. I said, can I come into Iran and open a rehab centre? I'm a Christian pastor. He said, I'm sorry, we're a Muslim country. I'm sorry, he said. But, you know, one day that cruel and evil religious dictatorship will collapse and there will be a tremendous opportunity to help those people. So we are training people in Georgia. We're working with the Protestant churches in Georgia. We have a rehab centre in Georgia. We have trained this year leaders in Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan in Lebanon and in Armenia in rehab, and we're bringing them a family from Armenia next week to train for one year in our rehab centre, and we are preparing Iranians to go into Iran. They are really suffering. There's been a great move of God. I was in Tehran 11 years ago. They estimated there were fifty thousand Christians there. But the pastors we're working with today estimate up to three million Christians in Iran. Iran in people want to know about Jesus. They want to know Jesus.
2: And that spurs you on.
1: Oh, and it's all like it's like this in Syria. I was um, preaching to Syrians and to Arabs just last October. And do you know they speak English? You will not go to even the remotest village in this part of the world. Really? Without finding an English speaker. Yeah. English is the Greek of Paul's day. Mm-hmm. The English-speaking world is uniquely placed now to bring Jesus to this last great group of people. And I believe if we can do that, the end will come. Jesus will return.
2: So you're training Muslim people to then turn around and preach the gospel to their own kind. Yes. Wow.
1: Because they understand their culture. Mm-hmm. And as Westerners, we sometimes identify Christianity with our culture, but our culture's got nothing to do with Christianity. As a matter of fact, Western culture today is almost anti-Christian. So we train them in theology, we train them in the pastoral ministry, the evangelistic ministry, as we did in Kazakhstan for more than 20 years, and we send them into their own countries. Obviously they need help and we can resource them in the West. And this is the most important thing. I mean, there, the pastor we're working with in Iran, he was in in Belisi. He was in prison just a year ago. I mean, these people are really suffering for their faith. But we have something to contribute. And they see us like a mum and a dad. Mm -hmm. So we can do that and we can provide resources. But I believe that Iran will open very soon. And it will be one of the greatest opportunities for the church since the collapse of the Soviet Union. And we will need 100 Christian rehab centers within a year, and that will be a million dollars at least for every center. But there will be a huge harvest, and the harvest time is a window. We were baptizing 100 people at a time in Kazakhstan 10 years ago. Today, we'll be baptizing 100 people in a year in all our churches. Wow. It's like it is in Australia mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. But Iran is in revival now, and I believe it's going to open.
2: So training, equipping, releasing the kingdom of god is yeah. expanding, yeah, big time. For yeah. other people who perhaps have had that little inkling mm. in their heart, whether it be a, a recent inkling or a long-time inkling, yeah. to embark on some kind of missionary involvement—if yes. they've felt that calling—what steps can you encourage them with to uh, to be able to take it?
1: well, I think there's different levels of calling. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is called to be a full-time minister. But for us as Aussies, we have a unique place. Generally, we are like, and we can work as professionals in all these Islamic countries. There are some risks. Primarily, Anna and I established ourselves through our professional skills, mine in drug rehab, hers in teaching. And then it was the families that formed the church. And I think if Aussies listening today feel a call, if they realise that these one billion Muslim people, they're just one step away from Jesus, they're closer to Jesus than anyone.
2: And he loves these guys, don't he? And he
1: loves them. And they're coming to him now. They're coming one by one. They're coming to him. If Aussies listening, they feel this call, they shouldn't be afraid to go. But if you feel a call, as we have since childhood, to a lifetime calling... Of mission Then you should really equip yourself And prepare yourself And then you should burn your bridges And you should cut your ties And you should throw your life away For Jesus Christ Because if you won't give everything to God If you hold one thing in reserve God will not move God moves through people Who can let go of everything That's the traditional story of mission And I don't believe it has changed And I think it's when we came to that point as a family that we saw revival in our own ministry and our own life. And I am sure there are people who have that kind of calling who are also listening. But for most of us, the opportunity to go to these countries in a professional capacity and serve is there. And for those who have a lifetime calling who are really willing to suffer and to really suffer. And I've been. Uh, stabbed twice beaten up in the streets robbed. we've slept in railway stations we've gone hungry we've had soldiers break into our home i mean it is an endless story only the grace of god that you can survive but not everyone has that calling but if you do and you're prepared to realize that god will bring you through it who knows you could be god's person for syria an Aussie. God sent Aussies to work with Muslims in Kazakhstan. That doesn't make any sense. We are both Irish Catholics. That's nothing logical about that. You know, you could be God's couple for Iran or for Jordan or for Saudi Arabia, for Egypt. I believe the door is open today. And if I was young again, I would do it all again.
2: I'm talking with Doug and Anna Boyle two amazing people who simply obeyed God's call on their lives, took their four boys to Kazakhstan over a decade ago. They were in the first wave of Western missionaries to enter the former communist nation and establish a missions outreach which became Teen Challenge Kazakhstan. They're doing so much more than that just now. It's an absolute pleasure having you come and visit in the studio while you're here in Australia. Godspeed and our travelling mercies as you return to Georgia real soon. Wish you well. God
3: bless. Bless you too and bless all the listeners.
1: Thank you, Karen. Bye-bye.
0: That was Karen Hunt chatting with the amazing Aussie missionary couple Doug and Anna Boyle. As you heard, the impact they've had in Central Asia is nothing short of remarkable, but it has also come at a price as they've been through some incredible hardships as well. I think it'll only be in heaven that we'll find out the full extent of the lives they've touched in that part of the world. Truly inspirational stuff. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
2: I guess at a time there I kind of struggled with God and wrestled with God over it because I was like, God, what is going on? Like, I thought this was going to be amazing. I was going to have a brand new baby brother. and, And I got a bit down and out with God. And I was like, oh, you know, are you even there? Do you even care? Why would you let this happen to him? But now I look back and I know that he was there the whole time. And Charlie is just a miracle. And it's just so many people like he shouldn't be here,
3: but he is. And that's because of God.
0: Anna Whitehead is a young adult, but she's already gone through so much in life. Fortunately, God has helped her overcome many challenges, and she's now strong in her faith and in her desire to serve the Lord. We'll hear the full story next time. The story, just another way vision is connecting faith to life.